Well, good morning, everybody, and so glad you're joining us. Listen, we have been going through the story in chronological order, and this has been a great resource for us. Uh, it isn't the Bible. It doesn't replace the Bible, uh, but it does break down in chronological order 80% of the Bible in 31 chapters. And so starting on uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we be began this journey, and here we are in week 18. Now, I'm saying this to you so that, number one, if you're a guest and you've never checked out this, it's an easy way to read in novel form 80% of the Bible. And so at Cafe Aroma, these are available. We sell them at a lot. Uh, if you don't have the money today to pick up one, but you'd like one and read along with us, and it won't like collect dust or become like a doorstop in your in your closet, uh, if you'll use it, take one. It's for you know you don't have to pay for it. If you can, great. If not, don't worry about it. We've given over 300 of these away uh, with our crew over there at Dieball Correctional Center. In fact, let me just say, uh, take a moment and welcome those of uh, that are watching online and our guys at Dieball. Let's give them a hand. Glad you guys are with us. And so why are we doing this? We want you to know the Bible because the story of God makes a difference in your life. Not just knowing the ins and outs of who he is, but as you see how he moves, how he deals with issues, how, how he navigates the people of Israel through the ups and downs of life, we're able to say, oh, that's how God, that's, that's how God's moving in my life right now. So I invite you to stick with us. Now, during the summer, we're going to pick it up. We're going we're gonna to speed it up a little bit, and there are going to be a few weeks that we do two weeks at a time. In fact, on your worship guide that you receive when you walk through one of our doors, it says this week's reading, chapter 19 and 20. Uh, we're going to begin to double up in some reading so that when we get all back to school and everybody's back in from summer, uh, that we'll begin to start a new season of teaching, a new sermon series starting uh, at the end of August. And so we're going to finish up and have a huge finale. But let's uh, finale. Let's get started uh, uh, this morning, reminding you that so far we've been from creation all the way into the wandering in the wilderness. The tribes of, of Jacob become those 12 tribes of Israel and they form a nation and they get a king and they have Saul as their first king into David into Solomon. But then after those three kings, the kingdoms begin to divide. The 12 tribes of Judah have a huge civil war and the kingdom divides into two, the northern and uh, the southern. And uh, northern Israel is 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the southern kingdom is the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. They both have their own kings. They're doing their own thing. Uh, they try and serve God to begin with, but they're always dealing with this idol worship stuff. The very first commandment God gives us uh, of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Like it's the deal and they struggle. And the more they put other gods before them, God gives them grace. He gets them out of horrible situations, but there finally comes a time that the only way they're going to learn their lesson is God say, okay, now you're going to learn what it feels like when you go through the total slavery. You were slaves hundreds of years ago in Egypt. I'm going to lift my hand and I'm going to allow, in fact, not just lift my hand, I'm going to allow my hand to guide other kings to take you captive. And it's at these times, 722 BC and 586 before Christ, that these uh, kingdoms are taken captive. Northern kingdom is taken captive by the Assyrians. 
uh, over in Turkey and Syria and Iran, modern day. And the southern kingdom is taken over by Babylon, which the capital city of Babylon was just a few miles south of the modern day Baghdad, Iraq. It's why Iraq and Iran and the Middle East and Israel, all that's really hot and heavy and important uh, because it's all throughout the story of God. We're going to talk about some things that happened during this little red line here before they return back to Israel, before they return back and are allowed to build the temple of God again. And then 400 years of nothing, just silence. We don't know. God's not speaking. They're eking out existence. And then starting in July, by the way, middle of July, we're going to get into Jesus. We're going to have Christmas in July, everybody. It's going to be a blast. We're going we're to have some snow. I don't know what all we're going to do. We might even give away some Christmas presents. Who knows? But, but Jesus bird, we're going to get through how Jesus comes and sets the story now into flesh. But here's what I want to do. As those Israelites are in bondage and they're walking towards captivity, uh, they are having to be indoctrinated into a whole new culture. Those, those uh, three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they are put into Babylonian culture, and they learn a new language, and they learn new government, they learn new laws, they learn new uh, 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 rituals. They're, they're asked to eat a certain kind of fruit. And I want to say that the, the indoctrination of culture to these captives is still happening in 2018. It's a little bit different culture in the U.S. of A., but there's still some issues there that are issues here. In fact, these aren't in your notes, but, but turn your bulletin over and let's write down some stuff. Culture's greatest goal, a culture that, that is not what God is building, but what man is building, culture's greatest goal is conformity. However they can conform you to the image of culture, that's the goal of culture. That's the goal of the great United States of America. Look at billboards, look at this, look at advertising, uh, look at the cultural standards. We want to, the culture says, look like us, talk like us, act like us, be like us. That's what you want to do. And that's exactly what was going on in Babylon. Eat like us, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, eat like us, talk like us, serve like us, worship like us, and conforming. Just conform to what we think you should look like. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says, you shouldn't conform to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by, be transformed by changing the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, another translation says. And as we allow God through his word and through his spirit to change our mind on things, the way I think affects the way I feel about stuff. The way I feel determines the way I act. Your feelings will lie to you and get you to act in different ways that you ought not to have never acted that way. But when you allow Jesus to change the way you're thinking, it affects the way you're feeling. It affects the way you're acting. And culture wants nothing more than you just to conform to its way of thinking. Culture's greatest test. Culture's greatest test was going on in Babylon. And basically it's twofold. You can't bow down to your God. That's what this culture wants to say. Bow down. You must bow down to our God's. And that's what we're dealing with in today's culture, that not only should you really not be so concerned about your God, but, but if you're really going to be tolerant, if you're really going to be accepting, you must bow down to culture's gods, culture's way of thinking, what, the way culture says is appropriate, what culture says is right, what culture says is truth. And that's what was happening in Babylon. And guess what? Not a lot has changed here in 2018. Culture's greatest sin back then. And culture's greatest sin, and, oh, there's a stack, there's like a hot, well, let me, let me say it this way. One of the largest catalysts for any other sin in your life, it starts with the garden, and it happens to all of us today, 
It's the sin of pride. Pride says, I want to be my own God. I want to be on the throne. I want to make decisions. I, want to, I like talking about you, 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 you usually, but occasionally I want to talk about me. I like me. Pride. I want to do what I want to do. I, I want to think what's best. I know better. And it's what happened in the garden. It's what happens in the book of Daniel. We'll, we'll dive into that in just a moment. But today what I want to unpack is culture's greatest catalysts that lead us to those things. That, that lead us to bowing down, that lead us to getting our priorities out of whack, that lead us to conformity. And we see it in this real story that happens in the book of Daniel. The Old Testament is about 650,000 words, and the New Testament is about 180,000 words. And they're break, broken down, the, the Old Testament, into uh, historical books and books of law, major prophets and minor prophets, major not being more important than the minor, uh, major being like bigger books and minor being smaller books. And Daniel is very historical. It's a very historical book, a lot of history. But it's considered a prophetic book, one of the prophetic books, because of so many ways God not only talks to them, but is also shedding light on the future. And in this story, we see God shedding light upon a, a, a situation way back then that we can actually learn from way over here now in 2018. So Daniel chapter 5, I want to read this story to you and let's see what we might learn from the Lord today. Chapter 5, verse 1, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Now, the reason they add that little piece is not just to say, is not just as a, a minor detail. Why didn't they say, and they sat around low tables and there was a heart plane and they ate mutton and they laughed and they went dilly dilly. But why didn't they, why don't, why isn't any of that in there? Well, anytime you see that little extra moment added and it's not purposeful, just know it's purposeful. And see, what we see is a symbolic, not just that they're drinking wine. It's the symbolism of there's this carefree, who cares attitude that, that, that they're in. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders, listen to this, to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. They were, they were holy artifacts that were in the temple of God, used for holy worship unto God. And when Babylon took over the southern kingdom, they ransacked the entire temple and they took those things as basically uh, the, the treasure, the, the, the spoils of war. And he says, hey, go in this middle of this kind of drunk fest, awesome party. He says, bring in all those goblets that my dad, Nebi, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebi had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, they, they drank from those goblets. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They knew where they were from. They knew the purpose of Israel was one God and one God only. And out of spite of God, out of vindictiveness, out of a sarcasm, they begin to basically mock by praising the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone as they drank up through these special uh, holy pieces that were symbolic to God's separation and holiness. Here's what happens. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. 
his face turned pale. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were kissing each other. He's about to pass out. So the king summoned the enchanters and the astrologers and the the diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, he says to these guys, come here, this is crazy. And he says, whoever reads the writing, because he couldn't understand. It was in such ancient script. It was like, it was a a God scripture moment, a holy supernatural moment. Whoever reads this writing and can tell me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And I can just see one of the astrologers thinking to himself, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Tracy's going to go out with me now. Mm, I'm going to look good. Moving on. Clothed in purple and a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Sure enough, those guys huddle, and they're trying to figure it out, but they're afraid. Like they don't want to get this wrong. They don't wanna, if they make it up and, and, and King uh, Belshazzar finds out, it's going to be off with their head, and they can't figure it out. And they try and they try and they just, they can't come up to a solution. All the enchanters, all the astrologers, all the diviners, you working in divination, all the, wit- the, 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 the witches basically, they just couldn't figure it out. So the queen speaks up. Boy, men, listen, listen to the queen. She goes, you know, there's this guy, Daniel. He's got a lot of favor with the gods. What she didn't realize is he didn't have favor with the gods. He had favor with the God, the one true God. You ought to have Daniel come in and and talk to you. So sure enough, King Belshazzar sends for Daniel. He sends for him. Daniel shows up. He gives him the same thing. I'm going to wrap you up in purple and and gold and give you authority, Daniel. Answer my dream. And here's the the response of the prophet Daniel. Daniel answered the king, "You, you can keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I'll still read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Daniel was focused on the most important thing. How many times it's the peripheral thing. See, Belshazzar is focused on the peripheral, on the stuff. And Daniel is focused on all that stuff doesn't matter. You really need to hear what I'm about to say. Daniel goes on to talk like this. He says, your majesty, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember, man, my dad, he was, he was incredible. He was incredible. Daniel goes on. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with what? Over at Dybal, what with? He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. As pride comes in, Nebuchadnezzar loses his place. And here's what happens to old Nebi. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox and his body was drenched with dew of heaven. What we're seeing here is uh, a complete mental breakdown. It may just be psychological, physiological, but very well could have also been supernatural. It also could be that he had relatives from Arkansas because that describes some Thanksgivings I've had before. (laughs) That was like Thanksgiving 2019, you know, 2012, okay? Um, moving on. So he, he was basically like an animal out of his mind until, 
until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign, until he stepped off of his throne of pride and over all the kingdoms of earth and over them any and, and sets over them anyone he wishes. So until he figured out Nebuchadnezzar's not in charge, God's in charge. But you, Belshazzar, and here's the warning, but you, Belshazzar, his son, you haven't humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, you saw, it could have been that Belshazzar saw as Nebuchadnezzar uh, built this huge statue and made everybody uh, uh, bow to it when the music would play. And if anybody didn't bow, there would be consequences. And sure enough, Shadrach and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow when the music starts. And he pulls them into this palace and says, why aren't you bowing down? And they say, we're not going to bow down. We will serve one true God. And he throws them into the furnace. And I can just see Belshazzar learning from his daddy king uh, that you you don't mess with the king. And yet then Nebuchadnezzar's heart breaking and turning towards the most high God when he looks through into the furnace and he sees uh, the fourth man walking in with those three Hebrew children and and he, he, he recognizes the power of God. They come out, they don't even, they don't even smell like, like Marlboros. They just, they don't even smell. They just don't even smell like fire. Not even singe, not even a hint of smoke on them. And Belshazzar may have seen that happen, but he, he knew the power of God, but he didn't humble himself and became arrogant. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. How many times do we deal with tough junk in life, and when things get tough, we say, thanks a lot, God, but it's really our own doing that have set ourselves up against the rule of heaven. He said, you had the goblets from his temple, Bel. Dude, you had the the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles, your wives, your concubines. You drank wine from them. Come on, man, you know. You knew better than that. You praised the gods of gold, silver, and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot even see, hear, or understand. How many of us live, not just in this room, but across our culture, we live bowing down to stuff that will never hear us, never listen to us, never understand us, but it becomes gods in our lives. He says, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. You're holding in your hand a holy cup, and he holds in his hand everything. And you would rather hold your own hand of pride and your own hand of authority and your own hand of goblet and say, hey, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and sarcastically worship Instead of truly understanding the hand of God himself that spins the world into existence, has you and your ways in his hand. So now Daniel drops, Daniel drops the truth bomb on him. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this scripture, I can't help but think of the Adams Family hand guy. <laughs> just like all of a sudden, just like popping up onto the onto the table, like, you know, pushing a plate out of the way, jumping onto the wall and just. It was a party stopper, I can promise you. Probably didn't, who knows what it looked like. We just know it was a hand that God had sent. And this is the inscription that was written by that hand. The inscription was, 
Mene, mene, tekel, parson. It was a language not familiar with the Babylonians. It was a language that, that uh, only was revealed to Daniel, ancient, ancient God script. And they, they couldn't make sense of it. And I can just see God sending the hand of Gabriel, whoever it was that wrote on the wall, hey, go write some stuff on the wall. Tell them, you know, mene, mene, tekel, parson. He's, they're not going to know what that means. I know, I know, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> And I don't know about you, but I read it like the, I, I read it like the chef from Muppets, you know, mini, mini, take a person. And, uh, and so who knows what's going on? And, and so they're, 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 they're freaking out. Daniel shows up. He reads it. Here's what the inscription says. And here he begins to break down what the inscription means. And he starts here. This is what these words mean, mene. Daniel, this is right out of Daniel 5. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it. To an end. Now, these are words given specifically to a king who had so arrogantly thought he was God. But there's still some very practical insights for us as we deal with pride and we deal with arrogance and we deal with elements in our life that get out of order. So for, for Belshazzar, uh, this is a warning that his kingdom's about ready to come to an end. For us, write it down in your notes, we forget our days are numbered. We, we forget it. My dad didn't have indoor plumbing until he was in seventh grade. And there was some season in their life growing up that they did not have electricity. And so when my dad became older and, and had kids and we would be in the house, if we came in from playing outside and we left the door open, he'd say, hey, you're born in a barn? Shut the door. And I'd say, I wasn't, but Jesus was born in a barn. He'd say, you ain't Jesus. <laughs> yeah. You ain't Jesus. Born in a barn. Why? Now, why did he care about that? Because you're letting the AC out. You're just letting the AC out. You know, when you grow up and you don't have a lot of something, you, you, you protect it. If you tend to grow up and you had a lot of it, sometimes you don't tend to value it like maybe you should. If just always, every time, there was hardly ever a no on anything, we can grow up and just assume that that's just the way life is. When we have a lot of, of extra stuff, we're okay with maybe wasting it a little bit. But if you don't have a lot of extra stuff... You can say, mm, shut that door, don't spend that. Man, that's, no, I'm not gonna, no, I am not gonna go for a large drink. I'm going for a medium drink. You know, you, you, you value when there is less of it. It, it. it tends to be like, if you didn't grow up hearing the words, I love you, when you do, if you're not skeptical over it and you do hear those words, especially from someone who maybe didn't say it a lot, all of a sudden, whoa, that. There's, there's, there's something, and it gets your attention. Our days are so numbered, and we don't know how to number them. We don't do it on our own. It's why the psalmist says in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Why? Because you're a lousy teacher of how important your days are. Because I've not met a whole lot of people that at the end of life, it, either at a funeral or, or uh, of a 16-year-old of a, uh, kid just this last week or a funeral of an 80-year-old a few months ago, we all say, oh, man, time. Where has the time gone? Where has the time gone? We just don't number our days very well. 
and neither did Belshazzar. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, the author says, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Now, that's probably not like the tattoo you want to get, you know, on your wrist. And pretty like, that's probably not, you know, your scripture as you drop the kids off at third grade. Hey, yeah, it's a, you die once. And then the judgment, love you, <laughs> you know, probably not one that you're going to write in flowery font and put on the refrigerator, but it's just as important as the other ones because we have a struggle with this. We waste what we have a lot of and we guard what is limited, but yet we don't guard our days very well. You know, the average person will eat out 11,418 times. 1,183 of those will be at McDonald's in their, in their lifetime. That's going to cause an early death anyway. <laughs> the, average, the average person spends 13 years of their life in front of a screen, television screen. And it's increasing because of smartphones. The average person will wait five years in line in line waiting on something. When you add waiting for your wife into that, I don't even know the number. It, 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 broke the, it breaks the calculator. You'll spend one year of your life looking for something you lost. And if you're me, two, two years. Like we spend our time and it's important that we number our days because Father's Day 2019 will be here before you know it. It'll be another year down, and the way you spend your time is the way you spend your life. Your life equals, your time equals your life. That's your life. Daniel goes on to say, Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. It was a measurement of, of weight. We were at time, days, and now we're at balance, and we're at the scales. And for for Belshazzar, the context was you've been out of balance in your priorities. You, you, have, not, you have not listened uh, to the warning signs. And for us, we allow our lives to get out of balance. We're trying to fit it all in. All, all the things that, are, that we feel like are important that aren't really that important, we just are driving, 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 driving. We thought that with the invention of computers, our lives would go easier. In fact, there were reports back from the 40s and 50s that when computers became a household item, it would drop the hourly, the, the work week to 22 hours a week because computers would, would streamline so many things. We wouldn't have to work as much. <laughs> what? But we allow our lives to get out of balance, good things, but out of balance things. Good stuff, a lot of good stuff, out of balance stuff. I wanna to say to you, we are a culture that pushes and pushes for a little bit more, a little more activity, a little bit more fun. Look, Jane and I are dealing with this right now, trying to figure out, okay, how do we balance all, how do we balance our life, God first, the church, our kids loving the local church, being involved, and yet wanting them to be involved in extracurricular sports and drama and baseball and basketball and choir and trips and, 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 and nights out and fun and still, like, keep our sanity with all that. It's not in your notes, but the constant push for more will destroy you. And it may not destroy you in a way where it gives, puts you in an early gra grave, although 
that could produce stress, and stress produces early graves if it's not managed. But the idea of what you know to be most important based on the word of God, the constant push for more pushes those things into the peripheral and not into the main focus. Daniel ends with saying, Peres, which is the singular of the parson, he says, your kingdom is divided now and it's going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. He is saying to him, things are about to happen. Things are about to happen. He's, he, and you know what? When we think about we don't do well numbering our days and we get life out of balance, Belshazzar dealt with it and we deal with it too. Here's number three. We ignore warning signs. We ignore the warning signs of the health, the warning signs of the, the fight. Look, Janet and I left and, and, and uh, went into uh, Houston yesterday and we had some, some house shopping to do for some little things. And we're building a house. We've been living in a 900-square-foot apartment for the last two years. And, and uh, mama's ready to get out. <laughs> Not of the marriage, out of the house. And uh, um, we're just ready. You know, we're ready. And we're going. We spent some time. kind of Father's Day weekend. We ate at a restaurant. And as we were sitting talking with one another, I just said to her, Geez, I'm like falling in love with you more right now because we just have not had time to talk. We took our own advice. You can check it out in our offices. But uh, we took the great date. Uh, we, we gave away in marriage month uh, eight great dates. And we used some of that content of one of those dates. And we just talked and had fun. I said, man, when we have slowed down and taken this time to talk, it's amazing. But we've been ignoring the warning signs. We, we, we ignore the warning signs. And you know what? When you ignore warning signs of your life being out of control and everything being important, which means nothing is important, some stuff happens for all of us. It may happen in a different way, but it happens to all of us. Here's some ways that, that ignoring the warning signs and living at a breakneck speed and not having the right priorities in place, here's what happens. The risk of sinful choices increases. As you run at that speed... It makes you more susceptible to sinful choices. It makes you more susceptible to, to respond in a way that you would not respond, to maybe drink more than you would drink, to say more than you would say, to flirt more than you would flirt, to respond, spend a little time, have me time, look at things you normally wouldn't look at. When you are running in this capacity, out of overcapacity, and you have things that are out of whack. You make decisions you, you, you wouldn't normally make. And the risk of sinful choices increases. You know what else happens? Your emotions become inconsistent. You, you're fine at one moment and then you're blowing up in the next. Man, that was a good service today, Pastor Jeremy. Thank you for the pulled pork sandwiches. Uh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. You get onto the loop, someone cuts you off in traffic. God bless you. Your emotions are inconsistent. It's like, ha, ha, how are you? Ah! Like you lose it on things. Man, I rem I, there was a, a couple years ago, things were so stressful with transitioning at the church and we were doing a, a, a large stewardship campaign. I, I was stressed and I wasn't managing it as well as I should. And I'm figuring out now that there was, there were, I am paying the consequences of not taking care of those things now with my own, with my own health, uh, with time. And I'm having to make some very important changes in, in some of my uh, uh, scheduling. 
But I remember sitting down with the family, and we just we turned on Netflix, and it was like it was like a Cake Wars Junior or Cupcake Junior or something. And these kids are making desserts, and the kids are watching, and I'm watching. All of a sudden, like one of the kids, they get voted out, you know, and they don't. They get. I'm crying <laughs> over cupcakes. I'm like, oh, that kid. And my daughter, who's like 13 at the time, looks at me and says, Dad, are you okay? Like, are you all right? I'm like, I thought it was a good dessert. You know? My emotions are inconsistent when I'm running at a speed that's not a God-designed speed for my life. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Is this just me? This may not, you might not get anything off of this, but man, I'm getting stuff off of my chest this morning. We work harder and harder and more and more, and we become less productive. You become less productive. And here's the worst of all, you can't hear God. You run so crazy and all the voices and all the stuff, you can't hear God. But let me tell you something, when, when you can't hear God, it's not because God has left. It's not because God has stopped speaking. It's like being in, in, the, uh, in the large uh, stadium, it, it, the Lufkin Panthers, uh, the football stadium. And if it's, a full, if it's a full place, you can hardly hear the conversation with the person next to you. But if you've ever been there early in the morning and it's just you, and you're sitting on the bleachers and someone's talking out in the middle of the 50-yard line, it's amazing what you can hear. It's amazing how that voice travels. But see, in life, we've got this stadium, and God's in it. But the more we fill it with all kinds of other things and all kinds of focuses and all kinds of deadlines and everything that becomes more, it becomes loud. And God's there. He's talking. But we've so consumed our ears and our eyes and our time and our thoughts, it's hard to hear God. So Belshazzar responds a certain way. But what about you and me? If the handwriting's on the wall for your life, the handwriting's on the wall and there's some things that need to change, what would be some lessons we can learn from this moment? And Belshazzar and for us on this Father's Day 2018, whether you're a dad or whether you're just here, whatever, how do we apply this? Number one, live with a sense of purpose and urgency. The more you understand that your days matter, the more you will, you will make your days matter. The more you understand there's purpose behind your life and your days, the more you will see the purpose behind your life and your days. People are awesome in a crisis. People are awesome with urgency. It's in an urgent moment that all of a sudden we're talking to relatives we haven't talked to in a long time. We're having conversations we should have had a long time ago. I sat in a room with a couple hundred of people mourning the loss of a beautiful young man who dies at 16. His name was Slayton. And he dies in this tragic car accident last week. And look, we're celebrating on the wall, thanking God that a son came out of a car wreck without being harmed. Well, last week I preached a funeral of a kid who was killed in a car wreck. Teach us to number our days so that we make it in a heart of wisdom. And we're good in a crisis, but don't wait for the next crisis for you to figure out how to make your time better. It, 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 it's like don't wait for the heart attack to figure it out. Like if you're gonna choose, should I learn this lesson with the heart attack? Or without the heart attack? I don't know. Without, without, the answer is without, okay? 
Psalm 39, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. Live with purpose and urgency. That's, That's part of why Timber Creek is here. It's to help you discover and develop your God-given potential and live with urgency and purpose towards God's directives, not just the nine to five, not just the grind, not just life that happens to you, but that you happen to life and you live that life according to the Lord and his dreams inside of you. Number two, the order of my life will determine my capacity. The order in which I live my life determines my capacity. Now, you may have seen this illustration before. Let me, let me show you a thought that makes very clear. In fact, it was made popular in the book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And the truth is, we all have a life. If we were to look at it as a week, everybody's week is the exact same size. Everybody gets 168 hours. How you spend those 168 hours on a week is up to you. Uh, It's how you prioritize your life. But everybody, now yours may be uh, 75 of these weeks. It may be uh, 7,000 weeks. It may be whatever it might look to you. I don't know. But time is short and our days are numbered. But what we fill our time with in a week matters. And there are... Little things like sand that are tiny, tiny things, and there are big things. There are the most important things, and they're not as important. But what happens is you only have 168 hours. So if you spend most of your week filling your time with television, and I'm a television watcher. I like to unplug at night and watch a show on Netflix. I'll binge a show. I will. I ain't going to lie. Okay, TV ain't the devil. There's a lot of devil in the TV, but the, you, know, you can watch it. But, you know, you fill your life with TV or extra emails or overtime all the time just to get that extra buck. All the social media got to like everybody's page because, you know, nothing, like, nothing says friendship like liking someone who posts a picture of a cat playing with a rubber band. All the external relationships that kind of you feel obligated to, but that don't really matter in your life. And you're, because they'll be upset, you just fill it up with that. It could be, it could be good things like the deer lease or fantasy football. Uh, it, it could be extra hobbies. Nothing wrong with those things, but they're little things. They're little things. So then when you try and have time for God and family and man, I just don't time, man, where is our marriage gone? Um, I need to have time with our marriage and yeah, church, but mm, we just got too much stuff going on. And obviously baseball and basketball and choir and, and all of our family activities, what happens? It, all of a sudden there's more, there, there is a whole lot more things than there is time to do them. All of a sudden your capacity you are running red line. Your RPMs in your car, it has a red line, but the recommendation is don't run it into the red line. You can, you can, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce results you don't want. And so what do we do? How, 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 do we, how do we deal with these things? Order determines capacity. And so if I were to reprioritize my life, And even though these little things are good and everybody has the little things in their life, you reprioritize by God first. You have to put God first. I mean, I wish I had time to go to church. You have time. I wish I would make the time is the right statement. 
I wish I would make the time to serve. I don't have time to serve. You should make the time to serve. There's certain ways that, that I wish I could put God first in my finances, but I don't have room in my budget to put God first in my finances. It's because you got a lot of sand in your finances. Uh-oh. Watch it. Father's Day. Keep it, keep it chill, Jeremy. Keep it chill. Father's Day. Family time. But your marriage is so critically important. The time you spend with your spouse or the time you spend with the most important relationships in your life, students. You've got all these priorities, big rocks. Your work can be a big rock, but it's not more important than the self-leadership time. Now, the cool thing is, once you put the big rocks in and you want to spend some time watching television, you want to spend your time doing some Dear Lee stuff, you want to spend your time with some hobbies, fantastic. Do those things. But you won't make the time, you won't have the space for the big stuff if you spend your time, you won't have the capacity for the most important things if you spend your time with the little bitty things that in the end of life don't really matter. There's not a lot of hospice workers that hear people on their deathbed say, I wish I would have answered more email. <laughs> huh? Hello? Man, I wish I just would have caught up on that final season of 24. Man, it was such a good show back in the day. But, but there's a whole lot of people. Whole lot of people. And the reason I emptied that out is because in the middle of service, uh, last service, it broke on me. Just broke in the middle of the illustration. Which was a great thing saying, your life is going to break if you don't do that. <laughs> it was a God moment. You guys must be living more spiritual than first service, right? C.S. Lewis said it like this, if we put first things first, we get the second things thrown in. But if we put second things first, we lose both the first and the second things. You, you forfeit so much more when you don't put God first. You don't just forfeit God first. You forfeit a lot of things in your life. Number three, we got to learn these lessons by choice or learn them later by regret. This is a lesson you will learn on your days being numbered, on your priorities being out of balance. You will learn these lessons by choice or you will learn them in regret later. God gives us the word and stories like this handwriting on the wall, not to just give us a history lesson. He gives us these stories to say, now look, I'm saying something, pay attention, listen. And how does Belshazzar respond? <laughs> At Belshazzar's command, after, after Daniel laid out all of that meaning, Belshazzar says, uh, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. He was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Even though Daniel said and is giving a hint, none of these things matter, Belshazzar. The clothes and the gold and the authority, 
the pleasure and the power and the junk, that's not as important. Listen to my words, Belshazzar. But what this scripture indicates is Belshazzar liked the trick. Belshazzar liked the show. Belshazzar liked Daniel coming in because his wife said he was really smart. And sure enough, he entertained everybody by, by defining the hidden language and he missed the point for his own life. He missed the warning sign. What would the next scripture have read? What would the next scripture read like? Had Belshazzar said, oh, dear God, Daniel, what should I do? Daniel, what, I, I will surrender. What do I do? How do, how do we avoid this? And we don't, we don't know what might have happened. We know what happened. But let me give you a hint. When God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, Abraham said, what if there's 90 people that love you there? Okay, I'll spare the city. What about 80? Okay, 70, fine, 60, you got it. Gets them all the way down to 10. Either Abraham was an incredible negotiator or God was trying to teach us a lesson. So I'm always willing to provide a way out. I'm always willing to provide a way out. You're made above the animals. You're more important. You're made in the image of God. God didn't build a boat for just eight people and animals because he's an animal lover. He builds a boat for eight people and Noah preaches during those decades of building. I believe in my heart had people said, tell me more, Noah, there would have been room in the ark. When Nineveh was destined to be destroyed and God sends Jonah, gets him there one way or another. Jonah's there and says, the city's going to be destroyed in 30 days. What do they do? They say, ha, 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 whatever. No, they say, what must we do? And what does, Jesus, what does God do? Wow. He spares the city. And even though we were still sinners, Jesus preemptively, before the foundations of the earth were formed, it was his plan. Jesus comes and rescues mankind. Whether you receive him or not, whether you agree with him or not, whether you follow him or not, he provides a way out for us. What might Belshazzar's history have looked like? We don't know what it could have looked like. But that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. It was over for Belshazzar. He ignored the warning signs and he said, let's just party. The Apostle Paul in, in the book of Thessalonians to the church of Thessalonica, he tells those Christ followers, he says, hey, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, those who are in neutral, those that see the warning signs, but let's just keep doing. Maybe, maybe it'll work out. And you know what, you know what keeps us from seeing it? Pride. Pride. I got this. I can handle it. I don't need a change. I mean, I know the pastor says all these things about the Bible, but isn't that kind of an antiquated way to live? Aren't we more kind of like enlightened these days? And, you know, my professor at college said it this way. Can we really got to even trust the Bible? I mean, I mean, all of that is kind of good. I want to say to you, that is pride incognito for you to think, for you to think that you know better now because we're so enlightened these days that you, that you would know better 
than those that lived with Jesus, that saw Jesus die and saw him risen again. How prideful of us. So how does this all begin? Does it begin by saying no on your calendar? No, it starts with humility. Humbling ourselves and saying, okay, Jesus, you have a better way to live life than I have a way of living life. And I'm going to put my stuff in the right order, my 168 hours. As a dad, as a man, as a woman, as a wife, as a grandpa, as a grandma, as a coworker, as a leader, as a boss, as a manager, as an employer, as an employee, I'm going to humble myself and say, God, you know better than I do. You know how to live life better than I know how to live life. And I humble myself. There are so many promises in the word of God for those that humble themselves. In fact, Jesus says it like this. Blessed are the humble or blessed are the meek for the earth will be theirs. That's a whole lot better than gold chains and purple clothes. And the best party you could ever attend. And the best sign on your door in your office at ABC Company. Blessed are the humble. They'll inherit the kingdom. Would you pray with me? All eyes bowed, eyes closed here, there in Dieball online. would love for you to pray with us. If you're here today and your priorities are out, I would just recommend that we look at the most important thing first, and that is God first. God must be first or he is not God. If God is not first in your life, he is not God in your life. He's just an idea. He's a philosophy. He's a Sunday morning routine. If you're here and you've drifted, if you're here and you let other things become first in your life, hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, the Bible says we're all like sheep. We go astray. We get things out of whack. We get things out of priority. But he's so quick to give us grace and a second chance and a seventh chance and you name it. But there will come a day, everybody, that there will be no more chances. There will be no more fixing. There will be no more grace because... The days are done. Make the most of this moment, Father's Day 2018. If you're here and you need to invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life for the first time or the first time in a long time, without hesitation, make the choice today. And I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm going to invite you there in Dieball and right here, put a hand up. I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Just put a hand up right in the air, right across the room. I see, I see several hands going up. You can put your hand down. God sees you way beyond I could ever see you. In your own words, you would just say to Jesus in a prayer, Jesus, I surrender to you today. I want your priorities to be my priorities. I want to live in purpose in my life the way you've called me to live. I humble myself before you today. I step off the throne of my own heart and I invite you back to that place of authority. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me a second chance today. For those of you in the room that you're, you're serving the Lord, you're loving Jesus, but you found yourself out of balance. Priorities, days are being, not being numbered, and, and it's just a time to recalibrate. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? I want to pray for you. And I got my own hand up. And Father, we thank you for these moments where we hear your word and we get to respond to them. Lord, may we leave different with a perspective that says every day is numbered 
that you hold the world in your hand. We can't hold our days in our hands. They fly away. They, they're fleeting. So, Lord, we give you our best day today. We're not promised tomorrow, but today, Father's Day 2018, I am going to humble myself and put you first. I'm going to declare your goodness and glory by the way I act, by the way I treat others, by the way I, I live in your convictions, your conduct, your character. Your will be done on earth as you see it done for my life in heaven. I trust you for today. Help me to number my days in the upcoming life that I live, whether it be long or short. I surrender everything to you. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen.